and welcome to this new edition of Café Klingendaal, the podcast series of the Klingendaal Institute. My name is Brigitte Degger, researcher at the Klingendaal Institute, and I'm joined here today by Adrian Nunes and Adrian Schout. Adrian Nunes joined the Klingendaal Institute in 2018 as junior editor of the Klingendaal magazine Spectator and is now also a researcher of the Europe and the EU cluster, closely following the EP elections. Adrian Schout is also joining us as a senior research fellow and coordinator of the Europe cluster at Klingendaal. He combines research and consultancy on European governance questions for national and European institutions. And he's also following closely the political process in the European Union at the moment. Thank you both for joining me here today. Everybody in Europe is following uh, the process in the European Union at the moment uh, closely. And the outcome of the discussions on the distribution of the EU top jobs have taken a rather unexpected turn in the last few days. Was this outcome to be expected? Why is this the outcome? Well, at first it looked like there was a deal being cooked up at the G20 summit in Japan uh, between leaders of the European Union. We were there. But when they arrived in Brussels the day after, they ran into fierce opposition from the Visegrad members in Italy. And that coalition even built to 10 or 11 member states. And I think the Spitzenkandidaten process didn't bring enough candidates to the table to agree on such a complex package of gender balance, geographical balance, and uh, north-south divide, east-west. So in the end, the European leaders had to grab back to the the old system of just doing the backdoor deals. And that's why these uh, four names came up in the end, I think. Um, Adrian, what do you think? Well, uh, the Spitzkandidaten uh, procedure turned out to uh, a mess. And that is uh, uh, what I uh, predicted before. Uh, the Spitzkandidaten, just uh, as uh, Adrian Nunes just said, uh, uh, operates with a very uh, limited number of people, but also people that we know and uh, have already certain enemies. Uh, so with the Spitzenkandidaten procedure, uh, it's very hard to get uh, acceptance from all the 27, 28 member states. You need uh, much more names like uh, to play around with. And uh, with Spitzenkandidaten, you also get uh, strong people, known people, whereas member states want to have uh, more lightweights, fresh people. So my prediction was we will get somebody uh, that you have to, to Google. Um, and uh, you know, many in Germany may have known uh, uh, von der Leyen, uh, but not many outside uh, Germany would have known her, um, apart from if you would have asked uh, do you know a German politician uh, that uh, had a, a problem with her PhD because she was accused of plagiarism? And then people would have known her. So we got a, a second rank outcome uh, from this procedure, and that is what you could have expected. So Timmermans already made too much enemies in the east of Europe? Well, probably not just in the east. Uh, I suspect that in Ireland the, the, the resistance also was because of his ambitious taxation plans. Uh, and there's a, an, another problem now at stake. Do we want an ambitious next commission? Whereas we know that the commission Juncker was very ambitious, uh, but all his ambitions got stuck in the European Council, in the Council. So the Spitzenkandidaten also triggers uh, candidates that are outspoken and ambitious, whereas the member states didn't want that from Juncker. Uh, so there's something seriously wrong with the Spitzenkandidaten procedure. Um, and are von der Leyen and the others qualified, you think? 
Well, the candidates are not known as strong ministers in their own countries, von der Leyen especially, but that's also because the defense ministry in Germany is heavily scrutinized, of course. We know the same from our ministry of defense in the Netherlands. But she also has very outspoken ambitions on a, a federation of nation states in Europe. And I'm not sure if, if that's what the member states uh, want in the end. So I'm not too convinced that they chose the right candidate to be the commission president this time. And for the others, I think Charles Michel is a typical lightweight Belgian uh, prime minister. But he's known as a very good coalition broker. And that will, of course be very handy in the upcoming problems that the European Council is going to face the coming five years. And the other candidates, maybe Adrian can add something about those. Well, for sure, all candidates are very qualified. Uh, it's just whether, again, if you look at Juncker uh, having problems with his ambitions, whether this very outspoken commission team is the, the sort of team you would have expected uh, looking at the lessons from, from Juncker. But something more important at stake here is the way the uh, candidates have been selected. Uh, A, partly backdoor deals, uh, which you can say that's the role of the member states, no problem with that. Uh, but there are some serious problems now at stake with, for example, uh, Lagarde. The way she's appointed, it should have been first based on the nomination of the ECB. And now it's part of a package deal in the European Council. So in that sense, you can say that rules are broken. Uh, at this stage, to make the package acceptable to the European Parliament, he is now looking for commissioners that will appeal uh, to the European Parliament. But that is not his job, because it's the role of the next president of the Commission to come up with new candidates. So it's becoming almost an absurd system of, of nomination candidates and uh, why these candidates uh, are surfacing. And do you think this undermines the democracy and the trust of the people in the European Union? I mean, does it in any way reflect uh, what was voted in May? Well, theoretically, you can see that many people really have uh, interesting things to say about European democracy, the role of the Spitzenkandidaten, and the next time we will need to have uh, uh, transnational lists to make the system really work. I think to a large extent that's an academic debate, really literally an academic debate, and a debate that is very much supported by really pro-European people and parties. I'm, I'm really not quite sure what the, uh, whether the public is, is really that keen on a Spitzenkandidaten procedure that they know who the Spitzenkandidaten is. On the whole, this whole game, what we now see, uh, uh, is very much a Brussels game. It's about top positions, it's about negotiations in Brussels, it's about the EPP and the S&D uh, not accepting each other's candidates. Uh, and, and this is the kind of Europe that I thought we didn't want anymore after we had such inter-institutional discussions about the, the, the constitution and intergovernmental conference and in the year 2000, 2005, 2009 with the Lisbon Treaty. The EU was so much preoccupied with the EU. It was about institutions, it was really navel-gazing. And where this game was supposed to entice European democracy, it results in European navel-gazing even more than we had around the European Constitutional Treaty. 
in the last few days the Netherlands of course followed Timmermans really closely and while we first thought he was going to be nominated it turned out he didn't. Is this a big loss in your opinion? Well, I'm not so sure because Timmermans, of course, won the European elections in, in the Netherlands itself. A uh, big win, quite unexpectedly, but it's called, uh, of course, uh, the Timmermans effect. But the fact is that our current governing coalition doesn't really have the same views on Europe as Timmermans does. So what would happen if Timmermans became the European Commission president would, would not be in the Dutch interest the current Dutch interest, I should say. And it looks like Timmermans is going to hold on to his vice presidency. Um, and the question is if that vice presidency is very impactful and a good uh, position to be in for the Netherlands. Well, the, uh, one of the problems with the Spitzenkandidaten procedure is that the member state who has a Spitzenkandidat has absolutely no control over who the representative of the of, of the country is in the next European Commission, so let alone if that's a Spitzenkandidat and turning out to be the president of the Commission. So, uh, in that sense, we have to be careful because member states may not may really not like this process that you cannot appoint somebody in the Commission because it's also about trust. Of course, a commission, a commissioner is independent. But it is also about trust the member state has in the commission and, and that uh, the, the person is reflected. It, it's, it's not the case that Timmermans was massively voted uh, uh, for in the Netherlands. Uh, I think he had 90% uh, of, of the votes, 81% if I'm correct, did not vote for Timmermans. Uh, he is very ambitious in many ways that you know, does not reflect the uh, European climate in, for example, our parliament, which recently voted for a motion to remove the ever closer union reference in the treaty. So you, know, you can see the gap here. Uh, so that's one of the other problems with the Spitzenkandidaten procedure. Now, there's something else that's interesting to reflect on in relation to Franz Timmermans, because he was the first vice president. And now in the deal that we have, we get a second first vice president. I haven't got the math right what it means if you have two first vice presidents. Does that mean that, you know, you have something like a, a new sort of uh, shadow president if you buy, combine them together? It, what does it mean? But the, and, and the problem sort of was with the first vice president is the first vice president probably was not such a very appealing position because... Uh, we had a very ambitious commissioner, very politically active, uh, supported by Selmayr, his chef de cabinet, later secretary general. The secretary general supports the, the president. The first vice president hardly has a staff. Uh, and the first vice president is confronted with many strong commissioners and vice presidents from the rest of the college. So it's, it, the first vice president really seems to be one leadership position too many, seriously. And now we no longer have one first vice president, but we have two. How navel gazing can Brussels be? This is Brussels logic. And are there any specific consequences of this outcome for the Netherlands that we have Frans Timmermans as vice president? Well, th this, this, is, this is a very difficult question to ask. If you ask around to what extent are people who, who really follow this from the inside and what you read in the newspaper about the position of Franz Timmermans in the Commission, you hear it is so important because we get so much information out of the Commission by having a first vice president. But I also saw it already mentioned that if Franz Timmermans would have been the president of the Commission, 
that would be so good for the information position of the Netherlands from what happens in Brussels in the Commission. But this is not about an information position. We have a permanent representation, we have embassies all around the EU, we get loads of information. I'm a bit surprised that we see so few enthusiastic inside stories about Frans Timmermans as first vice president. I don't hear people say how good that Timmermans is so much in favor of tax harmonization, including rather ambitious proposals for tax harmonization, that he wants to pursue uh, an ambitious social agenda. The real things you hear is it's good for the information position, but in a political commission, in this climate where we need Europe, but we're also where we need to be careful with Europe because things can break. I don't hear people really in, on content about Timmermans. I think that's very that's important and probably telling how uh, the official stance towards Timmermans is. Well, I think that's an interesting note to end this podcast with. Um, we will, of course, follow this topic closely. And do you want to stay updated on Café Klingendaal? Please register for our newsletter at www.klingendaal.org.